Good morning. Good to see you guys. One adjustment on the announcements. We will not be doing a leadership meeting tonight at 5. I'm not ready for it yet. I'm still in vacation mode. Uh, no, I, I just need a couple, I need a little more time just to honestly seek the Lord and get some counsel. Like I think I know what God would have us do, but counsel's a good thing, right? So I'm just going to take a little bit more time on it. We'll let you know when the next meeting is, but the main thing that we need to talk about is resourcing, living nativity, and falling to fun. So just add that to your prayer list, and uh, we'll get you a date on when the next leadership meeting will be so that we can be a light in our community with those two major events. So that's it for uh, the announcements. I asked my daughter to open us up this morning with the scripture, so let's pray. And after I'm done praying, Sophia, why don't you go ahead and read the word to us, okay? Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your presence, your healing presence here with us this morning. We ask that you'll open our eyes and our ears, and more importantly, our hearts to receive the word of God. May it truly move us and transform us, leading us to become more Christ-like today. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, Sophia. Good morning, Granite Creek. I'm Sophia. <laughs> I am sorry if my voice is a little raspy this morning. Uh, you may notice that I, along with many youth group students, have lost our voice due to uh, screaming the glory of God at Camp Hondo worship. Yay! So it's really good to be back. <laughs> We are going to be starting in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 today. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put in effect when all times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity under heaven and earth, in Christ. Thank you very much, Granite Creek. Can I get an amen? Amen. Good job, honey. I got, I got one here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're in a, a new series. This is the first time I get to preach in this series. Everything we need to know, we learned in Sunday school. So it is a survey of the, in, of the entire scriptures. A lot to get in in, in 12 weeks, but we're going to do it. This was, this idea was actually the brainchild of Jennifer Maglio, who does our graphics and our art and, you know, weddings, funerals, counseling. Like, she is more than just the gal that prints your bulletin. She's amazing. But this was her idea of taking us, taking us back to our roots in Sunday school. And Pastor Michael Jones is helped me on the scholarly side and getting a good program together. And then I've come up with some bright ideas of my own. And as you can see, we've let Jim go creative-wise. you know, creative wise. But I've learned something talking to you about this series. There is, there's a reminiscence of, of what we learn and what we remember in Sunday school. The article that I wrote that's in the newsletter, feel free to grab one. The article that I wrote, Harken back to the images of, yes, the flannel board and, and of my Sunday school teachers trying to make it interesting for kids. The teacher that I had, Lorena Jimenez, when we joined churches 15 years later, and now I'm a grown adult, that same teacher was here teaching with flannel board. She'd survived probably five, six other pastors, and yet she was faithful to her calling to be a Sunday school teacher. This is precious memories. I've also discovered that a lot of you never had the opportunity of going to Sunday school and seeing flannel graph characters. Now you have been fulfilled. And then we're going to go from the beginning all the way to the end, and... Um, Starting off with creation, ending in the book of Revelation. If you're wanting to know what the creepy guy in the corner is, that's, that's the end. So we're going to let you in on it all. We're going to tell you the whole big picture. And then on Wednesday nights, we're going to be a, doing a Bible study. 
a kind of an in-depth look of the sermon. So join us this Wednesday night, and we'll get into the topic in a little bit more detail. And there's a book that goes with it. So I want to invite you to join us. All right, today we are looking at Abraham, Father Abraham. Do you know the song? Father Abraham had many sons. Okay, so those of you that had the opportunity and the privilege to go to Sunday school and do flannel graphs, you know all about Father Abraham because you had to sing the song. And we talked about this in staff. We almost made you do it in worship this morning. I got a yes, for, but the problem is you've never seen me try. Well, you have seen me try to dance. It's pretty bad. Um, it's bad now, and it was bad when I was a kid. I, I have this rhythm problem, this hand-eye body coordination issue, and I just can't dance. I could not do the left-right, right-arm, left-arm thing when I was a kid, and I still can't do it. But we were, I was definitely toying around the idea of making us do Father Abraham this morning. But I just got back from vacation. And when I was on vacation, I visited a great church in Maui. If you ever go on vacation in Maui, I can tell you which church to go to. I loved the church. Big, giant, mega church. But you could feel the presence of God when you walked in. I'm like, okay, good. I found a good one. It's like you, you can figure it out like real quick. I love the presence of God there. The worship was good. It wasn't necessarily my style, but it, that doesn't matter. What matters is the presence of God. The teaching was great. The sermon was uh, two hours, 15 minutes. So stop complaining, folks. Yeah. But I, you know what? I was fine. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. The only thing I didn't like, so you guys are blessed. You guys are so blessed because we don't do this. The only thing I didn't like was, hey, if it's your first time, if you are a new visitor, please stand up so that 1,200 people can say hi to you all at once and give you a special gift. So I did it. Of course I did it. But it's like, like, okay, this is awkward. I don't like this. So we're not going to make you do it. I'm not going to make you do Father Abraham. It's just, we're not going to make you turn to your neighbor and say that I love you in Jesus Christ. None of that awkward stuff here just because, I don't know, this is, I'm sparing you. So you're welcome. All right. Uh, Abraham starts something new, something fresh. He is God's answer to a huge problem. If you were here with us last week, Pastor Larry talked about what Adam and Eve did, what these guys did. We call it the fall. It is the fall of mankind and the, the tainting of who we are. In ministry time, I hit on this. It's where we get the concept of original sin. Not the concept, the truth of original sin. It's it's where the brokenness comes from. It's from the fall. With sin, immediately comes judgment. So if you're writing notes, why don't you write this down? Right? Sin, and then write equals judgment. They sin. And God's judgment was that they were kicked out of the garden. They were kicked out of paradise. That they now had to work and it was going to be hard. Like they had to toil. Childbearing was difficult. Basically he's saying life is going to get hard from now on. So that's the, this is the judgment of God because of their sin. But God, in his mercy makes a way. There is a pattern in Scripture. There's a rhythm that we're going to continue to see over and over again. We're going to see the people of God sin. We're going to see judgment come. But you, you want to know what you see next? Grace. So if you're writing notes, write sin equals judgment, and then make an arrow that says Grace. 
You see, as soon as the fall happened, Pastor Larry highlighted, as soon as this took place, God put things into motion immediately to take charge of a very difficult situation, to fix the problem, to give us a promise. And he promises Eve a very special promise. He says, you were deceived, you sinned, there's judgment. But here's the grace of God coming into your life, Eve. This serpent that bitch your heel, you will crush his head. And that is, that is foreshadowing what Jesus has done. Her offspring, her inheritance is the destruction of Satan. It's an incredible promise. So God follows up the judgment with immediacy, with the solution, with his grace, his goodness, his plan, his promise for redemption, to redeem a broken situation. Adam and Eve, as you know, they have two kids, Cain and Abel. Because of what they did, they were born with this sinful nature. And Cain kills his brother Abel, spills blood on the ground. And judgment immediately follows Cain's sin. He is cast out. He is a marked man. He must flee. He breaks relationship. We don't know a whole lot of what took place after that. But the earth is filled with people. They, re they reproduce at a very high rate. Uh, if you look at it biblically, it's astounding. Uh, if you look at it from a different perspective, it's still a huge expanse of humanity. But because Cain slew Abel, God judged him and immediately came up with the solution. And that was another child. This child is made in the image of God. It is, they call him the child of God. And then Cain's descendants and Seth's descendants, they mix, and we find ourselves in a very difficult situation. Like, again, historically, biblically, we don't know what was going on. But whatever was going on, it's worse than what's going on now. We think things are bad now, but prior to that, things were really bad. So bad, in fact, that God stepped back and he said, I regret making them. That's a heavy topic right there. We'll probably have to spend some more time talking about that. But God said and stated in Scripture, I regret making mankind. And he is, because of the evil acts that they are doing, he is forced to judge. And the judgment this time is harsh. It's called the Great Flood. Incidentally, Geology shows that there was a great flood. Like, you know, take the Bible, take Christianity, take Judaism out of the equation. Academically, we know something big happened. A major catastrophe that would just wiped out uh, civilization. Okay, so here's your big giant word for today. Antidiluvian. You know what that means? It's a fancy word that, said, that means pre-flood. So there was a pre-flood civilization. And from our perspective, God found favor with Noah and his family. And Noah was the vehicle of God's grace. And two by two, all the animals get in the boat. And God made a way. He immediately saved and redeemed the situation. And we have what we call a new covenant. God promises. God made a deal 
with Noah. They call it the, the Noah covenant or the Noahic covenant. And he says, I will no longer wipe away humanity with the flood. I will never do this again. And as a sign, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky. So you, you know this story. The reason why I'm bringing up the Noah story is because we see God offering what we call a covenant. And it is vital that you understand the concept of covenant, of relationship. It's probably a word that you don't, you don't think about that often. But a covenant is a binding agreement that cannot be broken between two parties. And they're usually sealed in blood. They're usually so strong and so powerful that it can't be broken. And this was one of the first ones that took place, the Noah Covenant. Humanity goes on. And some 2,000 years before Jesus is born, There is a man in southern Iraq, in the city of Ur, an Iraqi, whose name was Abram. And he is in what we call the cradle of civilization. He is in a city and a part of a culture that has invented writing, that has advanced in the arts, has made monumental architecture, has made uh, huge leaps scientifically. He is in the happening place in the world at the time, Abram of Ur. And God calls Abram to go to a, a distant land, a foreign land. And again, you know the story. Abram's name is changed to Abraham, which we will get to in a minute. But let's just stop there, because God calls him out of a very interesting place and time in history. Again, 2,000 years before Jesus. Uh, how, far away, uh, how far away are we from Jesus, by the way? We're 2,000 years from Jesus. So that kind of helps you understand the, 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 the significant span of time from Abraham to Jesus and from Jesus to us. 4,000 years ago is when basically the new civilization Everything that we are today came and was birthed from this specific place in this specific time. Now, in our culture, in our Southern California culture, chances are you know someone or maybe it is you who are flirting with the idea of moving. You know somebody that is thinking about or praying about moving to Texas or Tennessee, Idaho? That's a part of our nature. It's it's who we are as as a human species. We, We migrate. By the way, I got that out of my system. I'm never leaving California again. I like it here. This is the land of milk and honey. So I'm staying. But this is an important message because God is calling Abram to a new life, a new land, a new people. And it's a big deal. Again, if you're thinking about this, if you're going through this, if you know people that are, it's a scary situation to uproot and to start life all over again. But I want to encourage you to be like Abram. Now, here's what we do know about him. He was an unlikely character for God to pick. He had major flaws. Abraham, Abram had this issue with God where he questioned God. He questions God a lot. It's like, really, God? I'm really supposed to do this? Are you sure about that? Let me give you some advice. Questioning God is never a good idea. So you see him have conversations with God where he actually calls God out on the carpet. 
Other times, maybe, well, we're all guilty of this. Other times, Abraham, Abram's character flaw is to push his agenda to actually help God out with a certain situation. Because God's moving too slow, or you're not getting the answers fast enough, and so you make a decision. We see Abraham do this with his son Ishmael. Ishmael was not part of God's plan, but Abraham decided like, okay, I need to get God's plan moving for my life. And so I'm going to move now. I'm going to make this decision now. So Abraham decides that he's just going to help God out. Not a good idea. I don't encourage you guys to try and help God out. Abram had a lying problem. Like he's telling lies and half-truths all over the place. And probably one of the most interesting parts about Abram is he's just got one jacked up family. Like he has got family problems that are a lot like our family problems, but even worse. So he is not a good candidate for God to pick to be the father of a new nation, the father of faith, the father of God's chosen people. I wouldn't have picked him. So what was it about Abram that God attracted God to pick him? This is a tough question, and I don't really think that there's a right answer to it, because we're talking about the sovereignty of God here. This is God's decision. God chose him. God picked him. But there is one thing that we know about Abram that we all need, and that he was a man of faith. He was a faithful man, despite all of his flaws, despite all of his issues and his relationship messes, he proves over and over again that he is a faithful man that he believes, and the scriptures say it's credited to him as righteousness. We all need to have a faith like Abraham. And so I can't help but to wonder and to question, was it Abram's faith that attracted God to choose him? Again, we can't answer that. We don't know. We can only question. But what I do know, what the scriptures do say, is that we can't do anything inside of our own abilities, our own skill set, our own work ethic, our own morality. We can't do anything that will make God happy. There's only one thing that makes God happy, and that's faith. And Abraham had faith. I think it attracted God to him. And God said, you know what? He's not perfect, but he's a man of faith, and I can work with that. And so just like Noah, God goes into a special covenant, an agreement, a non-binding contract with Abraham. And it's a game changer for all of us that are sitting here today. It is, it's vitally important, this covenant. Incidentally, again, if it's a word that you're not familiar with, uh, we have two major parts of our books. What are they called? What are they called? The old what? And the new what? Testament is just another word for covenant. So we, we, are, we are called to be a covenantal people. This is how God relates to us with the covenants that are in this book. And so God begins to set off a new plan. He, he through Abraham is promising to fix what they broke through this new covenant. Okay, did you guys catch that? Through Abraham, through this new covenant with him, he is promising to fix what they broke. So we're going to be looking at uh, this covenant, this, this contract, this deal that is so vitally important to us today. We're going to be looking at Genesis 12, Genesis 15, 
in Genesis 17. They're all saying the same thing, all a little bit differently. It feels like, like there's some redundancy taking place. But if you have children and if you're trying to teach them something, you will realize that you have to be redundant. It is the Department of Redundancy Department. You've got to say it over and over and over again in order for it to sink in. And so whenever God says something more than three times in the scriptures, it's a big deal. It needs to be, you need to pay attention to it. So let's look at chapter 12 first, and you will see that his name has not been changed. Chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham, you leave your country, your people, your your father's household, and you go to the land I will show you. Here's the covenant. Here's the promise. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All right, full stop right there. All peoples will be blessed through you. How does he do this? It's part of God's big plan. How does God practically bless the entire world through Abraham? Jesus, through the nativity. We're going to see the answer to this problem enter into our time and space through the birth of Jesus. Same story, chapter 15. Not the, the same covenant, he's a little bit older. This one is so fascinating to me. He gives Abram the covenant again. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Hey, did you know that God speaks to you in visions too? Be open to them. I want to encourage you to see them, interpret them with wisdom, and use counsel. You can't do this visioning thing by yourself because sometimes vision is a bad pizza. You need people around you in order to catch God's vision. You need people that, that can tell you the truth about what they see. In a vision, God said, Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. This applies to Abraham, but it also applies to you. He's going to give you a vision for whatever you're going through right now. And he is saying to you, he's going to protect you. He's going to be a shield about you. You enter into this contract. You enter into this covenant. He promises to be a shield and a great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is a laser. From Damascus. And Abraham said, Have you not given me no children? So a servant in my household will be my heir? Okay, so he's questioning God, right? This is a character flaw right here. Then the word of the Lord came to him This man will not be your heir, but the son coming from you, from your own body, will be your heir. He looked, excuse me, he took him outside and said, Look up. Whenever, the, whenever, you have, whenever you're wrestling with God, whenever you're questioning him, whenever, you're, whenever you find yourself whining in the presence of God, the still small voice of God will lead you out of your static, and he'll say, look up. Just look up. Let's just remember my promises. Let's get your head out of the sand, and let's... Let's put it up into heaven. Look up at the heavens and you count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Countless. 
Now, in your Bibles, underline it, circle it, highlight it, defile your Bible because this one is huge. It's important. It's applicable. It's new covenant. It's old covenant. It's gospel. It encapsulates everything. Abraham, what? He believed. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Righteousness, right doing, being morally upright, being a good person, doing right things, having and using the character and nature of God. I just got telling you and showing you just in the past verse that Abram was not necessarily a righteous man, now was he? But for some strange reason, again, we see sin, we see the judgment of God, and then we see God's grace. We see God's grace enter in. And because Abraham believed, because his faith was activated at the moment when he saw the impossible, the moment when he re- was revealed that he was going to do the impossible with his offspring, in that moment, that defining moment, this is what makes him special, he believed. This person with character flaws believed. And it was credited, meaning that he got credit for something he didn't deserve, right? You guys catch that? He got credit for something he did not physically earn. Believing faith has this way to completely bypass all of the hard things that we think we need to do in order to gain God's love. Verse 7, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, so technically, I'm sorry, I've got to geek out on you for a second. It's actually the Sumerians. It's not the Chaldeans. Chaldeans came a little bit later. It's called the land of the Chaldeans. It's it's kind of like saying uh, we came from the land of California when, in fact, we're Claremont. It, it, sorry. But the Sumerian things have been an important point. I'll get to that in a second. Out of the land of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Okay, so they've left southern Iraq. What land are they talking about right now? You should know this. They're in Israel. They're in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They're in Cana. Palestine. God's saying, I'm giving you this land and you're going to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How am I going to know this? All right, things get a little weird. I'm going to paraphrase it. God tells him to get some animals. We're going to seal this thing in blood. We're going to become blood brothers here. Good news is you don't have to cut yourself. You can get these animals. You're going to chop them up. You're going to put them on either side. You're going to walk in between them. So this is like ancient Near Eastern like deal-making type stuff. It's binding. It's a big deal. It's signing the contract that you can't get out of. And then this, and again, we don't really... Kind of weird how it explains it. But basically, God's big giant ball of fire goes in between and walks with him and says, this is done. This is important. Signed in blood. This is the new covenant that I'm making with you. Verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give you this land from the river you uh, excuse me, from the river of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates. Alright? Make a note of that. He's given them the land from the Nile to the Euphrates. It's a big piece of land. Okay, and then finally. Same covenant again, a little bit of a difference. Chapter 17, verse 1. 
Abram was 99 years old. The previous conversations with God about this very same covenant, again, it's a redundant covenant, he was in his 70s. The dude's getting really old right now. He's got no heir. He's got no kids. It seems impossible. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your number. Abraham fell, Abraham fell face down and said, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, but your name will become Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. That's what Abraham means. It's a a different language than Abram, actually. He goes from being great father to father of many nations. I will make you fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant, an everlasting covenant between me and you, your descendants after you, for the generations to come. To God and to God of the descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now, where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Verse 15, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. She's like 90-something years old right now. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down and laughed. Not a good thing to do. And said to himself, Will a son be born of a man 100 years old? Will Sarah be born of a child uh, at the age of, of, of 90. And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael lived under your blessing. I have a better idea, God. How about if we just do it my way instead of your way? Okay. So in this covenant, in Abraham's growth and in his transformation, in this covenant that is binding, we see three promises. They're in your notes. Your first promise that God gives Abram is he promises a people. He does this on several different occasions. You will be the father of many nations. Look up under the sky and count all the stars. That's going to be your descendants. Look down at the sand at at your feet. Count all the, the flecks of sand. Those are going to be your children. He says this to him over and over again. Then he reaffirms that Sarai is going to be the mother of many nations. Again, it's a tall order. But God promises him a people, a group. Here's the interesting thing. He already had one. He had a great group of people. He was... A Sumerian. What we learn from linguistics and a little bit of history, a little bit of outside of history, we know biblically that his dad was a priest. Sarai, we don't know. She's a Sumerian too. We don't know what the definition of Sarai is, but when God changed her name from Sarai to Sarah, we do know the definition of Sarah. Sarah means princess. So they were leaders in a civilization that had it all together. They had a people. They had everything that they needed. Again, we, we don't know all the details. We, can't, we can read between the lines, but we think that they're royalty, folks. Abraham and Sarah were most likely royalty. They're not some sheep herders out in, in the middle of nowhere. The dude had tons of money. He had tons of influence. He was smart. He was a part of a civilization that created writing. I actually believe that he took the written word with him and taught them how to write. 
Can't prove that. This is my idea. He had a people. But God had another plan. A new people. A new family. This applies to you. God has a promise for you. And his promise is a people. And in the new covenant with Jesus Christ, the people is the church. You have a people. Maybe last year in isolation, quarantined, life happening, all kinds of craziness, you might felt a little alone. But God's promise to you, just as God's promise to Abraham, is that you have a people. Tribalism is a toxic thing in our culture these days. I don't like it. Churches and church growth movements try to teach it. I think it's, I think it's satanic, actually. But we are a people, a people of God. A diverse, loving church. You read the Christian magazines and Twitter feeds. They're saying all kinds of horrible things about what church is these days. And yeah, she's got her flaws. But she is amazing. And Jesus thinks that the church is beautiful. If you're looking for a people, that is God's promise to you. He will give you a people. And again, it is the church. And she's worth it. You don't have to be alone. God promises you a people. It's your promise. I don't know, Pastor Josh. Those people at Granite Creek are pretty mean and grumpy towards me. There's another great church out there. I guarantee it. Don't like the music. Okay, well, there's another church out there that will fit your need or whatever, whatever God has you, whatever direction, whatever discipleship you need to fall under. God has a people for you. Most likely it's here. If it's not here, it doesn't give you the opportunity to bail out on connecting with God's people. We are his children and we need to stay connected. Uh, I think this is from the Lord. Don't fight about church stuff with, with your church friends. Don't, don't fight about theology. Don't fight about when Jesus is coming back. Don't fight about, you know, specific interpretations and all that kind of stuff. Well, we're all church family. Every denomination, every expression, every beautiful aspect, we're all part of God's church. And God likes us that way. So it's good to be different. Okay. So you have a people. The second promise This one's a little strange, but I believe it applies to us. God promised Abraham a people. It seemed impossible. But God also promised Abraham, ready for this, a land, real estate. And that one seemed impossible too because it's just him and Sarah and their household and some servants. They're no big nation. They can't take over the land of Cana. It's impossible. And yet, God says, I, I'm giving you this land. They already had land in Ur. And so says, no, I want you to have this land. It's a big deal, everybody. Israel is a big deal. Like, there is something about the territory. I've been there twice in my life. You know, you feel a special connection to the land. It's weird. I don't get it. But that, that is a sacred land. It belongs to God's people. It gets really, I mean, you know, you've been watching the news. It gets really complicated. Let's go back to chapter 15. Do you guys remember what the, what the span of that land was? Crystal, bring up the, bring up the graphic. From the Nile to River Euphrates is the land that we just read that is in covenant that God is giving to his people, to Father Abraham. A quarter of Egypt, all of Cana and Palestine, a big giant chunk of Saudi Arabia, all of Syria, all of Lebanon, 
half of Iraq. That's God's land. That's what the Word of God says. And if you let your imaginations push a little... Oh, and Jordan, too. Uh, if you let your imagination, your geopolitical understandings take you a little bit further, you know you're looking at at least World War III or Armageddon right here. But this is God's promise to his people. At best, under the kingdom, under David and Solomon's kingdom, you had a fraction of this. They, all, they got to the river Euphrates. They did not go into uh, Egypt. So they, re- they, they experienced the partial blessing, what was intended. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of real estate, everybody. That's a lot of land. And you're like, I don't know if I want to even think about that right now. And that's okay. What does it really mean? Again, yeah, the land's important, but what does it really mean? It's a, if you want to think about it practically, it's a resource, everybody. Strategically, it's a huge resource. It's, it's the right location to basically rule the world if you wanted to. But it's also the land flowing with milk and honey, its resource. So what does that mean practically for you? Yeah, I think God wants you to have a land. It's his promise to you. Now, it might not be a physical place of real estate. Chances are it's not Israel. Like, I'm not going to move there. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to make it my home. Okay, I would never leave Southern California again, but I might leave it for Israel, just so you know. But they're not going to, they're not going to, it would be hard for me to, to, even though I could probably fudge it with the last name and fit in a little bit, like the gig would be up and they, they wouldn't accept me into the community, just so you know. But you feel still attracted to it. You still feel called to that land. And God has, he has a land for you. Okay, maybe it's your house. Maybe not. What God's promised to you is resources, is milk and honey, is being in the right place at the right time. God wants to give you what you need. He wants to give you bread. He wants to give you the finances that you desire. It's, it, it's in the book. It's his promise to give you resources that you need to make it in life. He does not want you to suffer. He wants, he wants you to live that good life that the American dream tells you that you should have. But we've twisted and we've warped it into something completely different. But you have a land. And again, maybe you'll never own a house. I don't know. But you do, the Word of God says, you do have promises, you do have resources locked up into heaven, and there it is waiting for you to use your faith to unlock them. Yeah? Like there's stuff up there waiting to be used. God wants you to use it. But you have to be faithful in your calling. You have to be faithful with what he's given you. He wants, to, he wants to give you the toys. But it's conditional. Now, caveat. God's love is 100% unconditional. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't, you can't work hard enough. Going to church every Sunday is not going to make you love, God love you more. Giving more is not going to make God love you more. Um, being a nicer person, not saying swear words, is not going to make God love you anymore. That's, that's unconditional But all the cool stuff, all the breakthrough that's locked up into heaven, that one is conditional, everybody. That one requires proper discipline, proper discipleship, proper obedience, proper faithfulness, walking with the Lord and not deviating from the path. It's all up there. He wants to give you a land. But you can't compromise your values on it. The third promise that God promises Abraham and promises you is the promise of a blessing. Our American minds often mix up blessing with resources, blessing with land. So whenever I think about God blessing me, it's usually in the form of a check, yeah? I always pray God blesses me this week and I get my tax return. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that one. 
God blessed me with a new car. God blessed me with this house. God blessed me with this resource. Okay, everybody, that's a wrong way to think about a blessing. Those are resources. They're not a blessing. What did God say that he was going to do through Abraham's seed? What did he say he was going to do with it? He was going to bless the entire world through Abraham's seed. Yeah? What is that blessing, everybody? It's Jesus. It's salvation. It's eternal life. It's the very reason and purpose why Jesus came to the planet. He came that we may have life and live it to the full. Blessing is the kingdom of heaven residing inside of us changing, transforming, becoming more and more Christ-like, getting rid of our sinful nature and identifying with who we were meant to be in Christ Jesus. Now, on earth, as it is in heaven. That's, my, that's a blessing, everybody. Forget about the money. Who cares about that? Inner peace is a blessing. Accessing the things of heaven now is a blessing. And that's what he wants to bless you with. So what do, you need to, what do you need to know? Again, everything you need to know, you've learned in Sunday school. What can Abraham teach us? This is what you need to know about Sunday school today. Is that he can take a flawed, imperfect person and he can bless them wildly because they are faithful. I'm going to close today with the scripture that my daughter read from us from the very beginning, which actually encapsulates this whole story. Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be a holy and blameless people in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption and sonship. That's us. We're adopted. We get, the, we get grafted into this, into this family. That's awesome. In accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us. God wants to lavish his grace. Yeah, you sinned. Yeah, there's judgment. But grace is lavished upon us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he had purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time reaches their fulfillment to bring unity in all things. Amen? Unity in all things in heaven and under the earth. You don't have to be perfect, everyone. You just have to be faithful. I'll say it again. You don't have to be perfect. You have to be faithful. Can I have the ushers come up to the front? And as they're on their way up, let me just pray and seek God's will. Pray for you and seek God's will for your life. Pray that we have the courage to step up into the covenant that God's called us into. Promises of people, promises of resources promises of a blessing, of salvation, life eternal. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I pray you bless this offering. Thank you for the faithfulness that has been in this room, that's kept us going, that's kept the gospel message of Jesus Christ preached and proclaimed on a weekly basis. Now open up heaven, Lord, and show your children your goodness by releasing those resources. Now I'm going to ask that God blesses us with eternal life. I've come into a new habit in my season where I have been rededicating my life to the Lord every week. And I want to invite you to do it with me. It's simple. Say, God, I sinned this week. My sinful nature got the better of me and I I blew it. Teach me your ways, God. Bring me into your discipline. Show me your grace. God, please forgive me of my sins. Show me your grace. Show me your goodness. My life is yours, Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer again on a weekly basis, God will meet you where you're at. He's always happy with a rededication, a readjustment, a realignment to his word and his goodness. But if you prayed that for the very first time in your life, if you've asked Jesus to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins, if inside of your heart you believe and if you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I've got some good news for you. You now have a people and we love you. Thank you, God. Let's continue to enter into worship and let God speak to you during this song. bless you like he blessed Abraham. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you, to be gracious towards you, to turn towards you in your time of need, and to give you rest, and to give you peace. Go with God's blessings Attach yourself to God's promises. 
understand where you're at in your life. Go on a journey if you need to, but stay faithful to the Lord. He has been faithful to you. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. God bless you guys. Have a great week.